Hey there. Before we start, just know that this episode contains descriptions of violence in war. Thanks for listening. Previously on the line. Get down in the mud! Buds is, it's just survival. You can't fail. I'm not going to ring that bell. There's nothing you can do to me. They're not allowed to stop. Because stopping equals death. It death for you, maybe death for the team, death for the mission. How many times did you deploy? Uh, eight altogether. You're going like on a speeding train, <laughs> like 120 miles an hour. I was like, this is insane. Like, th- this will get sorted out. How can you make something out of nothing? You pull that knife and start stabbing him. No, my son put the knife in the neck. That's without a doubt. And when I walked back, he was pretty much dead. He didn't stab this kid? No. It was by June 20th that our home was being raided. It was like a scene out of, like, Narcos or something. Episode 3, The Curvy Line. When we got Eddie's charge sheet, it was long, um, and it was harrowing. Sean Gallagher is Eddie Gallagher's younger brother by about four years. It's that first thing that you see that says, you know, the United States government v. Gallagher. I was like, fuck, because that's my name. I'm like, fuck. United States versus Gallagher. Fuck. Eddie Gallagher was arrested at Camp Pendleton on September 11th, 2018 for what allegedly happened in Mosul. For murdering a young ISIS prisoner. For two separate incidents of shooting civilians. For taking pictures with a corpse. All built on statements and accusations from SEALs inside his own platoon. If they've arrested him and they detained him, and you can't see him, and he's in jail right now. This is not just serious, it's super fucking serious. In fact, it's super duper fucking serious because they're not even dealing with the regular legal system here. This is UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, completely different set of rules that no one seems to understand. We were all freaking out, like, what What even is this? What is a fucking IRO? Well, what the fuck does UCMJ say about pretrial confinement? And like, oh shit, who do we present the evidence to? And like, and then when I got Eddie on the phone, he was like, dude, I don't have any fucking rights. I'm like, well, what can we do? And Eddie was just like, what do you mean, what can we do? I'm in fucking prison. If it sounds like he's out of his element, it's because he is. He's one of the only Gallagher's not to join the military. Why didn't you join? <laughs> Actually, I was uh, this close. Um, um, and by the way, if you're ever around anybody, particularly anybody that enlisted and like went through this shit, right. and you're like, oh, I almost joined the military, they will <laughs> fucking hate you. They will just be like, this guy's a piece of shit. And while Eddie is right wing, Sean, he's kind of a liberal, working in D.C. as a science advocate. Yeah, you will find that Eddie and I are are drastically different people. And so what do you say to your big brother accused of doing some truly dark and terrible things? Like if this was if this was me... There's going to be a moment where I sit down with him and I'm like, look, is this real? Did you do this? Um, I did not get a super ton of details. He was just kind of like, this is what's going on. It's bullshit. Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. I got the gist of the story. Sean begins knocking on doors on Capitol Hill, looking for a sympathetic ear who might help them navigate the system they're now entangled in. And I was just getting stonewalled. And I was like, dude, they don't give a fuck. No one wants to touch it. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with McCain's staff. John McCain, a former prisoner of war himself. And her philosophical approach to me was, well, 
the way the system works is the government's going to throw everything they have at you. You throw everything you have at the government. And then justice washes out in the middle. And I'm like, what chance do you think that we have? I was like, Ed's in jail. We have two not-for-profit lawyers. The Navy has unlimited resources. They control the evidence. And I was like, well, shit. Fuck. We had not been telling anyone, really, except for very few close people in the community what was going on with us. When the rumors of war crimes were first escalating, Eddie's wife, Andrea, tried to keep it on the down low until the arrest and the national news stories that followed made that difficult. And at first, all of the articles, all of the news were very bent and one-sided and like, oh, it's, you know, this guy's a freaking lunatic. He's a killer. Now, as much as this is a legal problem, Andrea and Sean begin to realize that what they have is an image problem. They need allies. They need heavy hitter lawyers. They need to raise money to pay for those lawyers. And the monster war criminal narrative is, let's just say it, it's a little off-putting. Eddie Gallagher is toxic. Andrea decides that what she has to do is change that narrative. And we were like, okay, so how do you get the truth? How do you get our side of the story out? On today's episode, a masterclass in branding an accused war criminal. And the reckoning it forced that the Navy SEALs would just as soon not have had in public. I'm Dan Taberski. This is The Line. The Navy SEALs are a great place to start if you're looking for a case study for how to manage your public image. Or, more specifically, that if you don't manage your public image, someone else is going to do it for you. And if you're really unlucky, that someone else might be Charlie Sheen. Both of my grandfathers were in World War II. That's not Charlie Sheen. That's Mike, SEAL Team 3. Family tradition is the first reason he became a SEAL. The second reason? Seeing the movie Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen, which is a classic. And oh my God. Navy Seals, the movie, came out in 1990, starring Charlie Sheen as a SEAL with great hair, a bad attitude, and a bullet belt full of one liners. I mean, it's crazy how, how big of an influence that movie has had on the community. He's not kidding. I read books before joining the military. Will, SEAL Team 6. You know, I watched Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen. Oh, my God. And uh, my girlfriend said, hey, let's go see this movie. Dan, SEAL Team 7. And the movie was Navy SEALs. With Charlie Sheen? Charlie Sheen, yeah. Oh, my God. To be clear, I asked no one about Charlie Sheen. They all just keep offering it up themselves. You know, Chuck Norris was in Delta Force. Chuck Norris is no Charlie Sheen. Yeah, yeah that's, that's for damn sure. Besides the enormous unease it gives me that Charlie Sheen has so much pull in one of the world's most elite military groups, it also proves one thing for sure. Marketing works. Even though the Navy SEAL brass had nothing to do with this movie. In fact, until recently, their policy was do not talk about the SEALs at all. It's part of what they call the SEAL ethos. The SEAL ethos is just over 400 words. All new SEALs memorize it. It's like a cross between the Bushido code that came from the Samurais and what the Boy Scouts wear to with three fingers in the air. It is heavy, with phrases like, never out of the fight, 
and forged by adversity. And the line that puts the kibosh on publicity? I do not advertise the nature of my work, nor seek recognition for my actions. And on the whole, the SEALs took this ethos really seriously. Until 2011, when the need to attract new SEALs to the teams was urgent and they were handed a marketing opportunity too good to pass up. On orders of the president, a small U.S. team assaulted a secure compound in an affluent suburb of Islamabad to capture or kill Osama bin Laden. On the record, when reporters ask questions about the bin Laden raid, officials won't even say Navy SEALs. Um, very brave um, personnel from the United States government. But behind the scenes, the raid happened on May 2nd. By May 4th, Disney's trying to trademark the name SEAL Team 6. By June, the Pentagon and the CIA are setting up meetings with director Catherine Bigelow. By July, the Zero Dark Thirty production team is sending over floor plans for the scale model of the bin Laden compound they're building to make sure that they're getting it right for the movie. By February of the next year, another SEAL movie comes out, Act of Valor. Act of Valor not only has Pentagon backing, it actually just straight up uses real SEALs as actors in the movie. They pull in $83 million at the box office. At its world premiere, six Navy SEALs jump out of an airplane over Los Angeles and parachute right onto the red carpet. That is a long way from I do not advertise the nature of my work. And for the individual SEALs who weren't cashing in on the brand, the hypocrisy gets a little hard to take. And I think no different than a teenager when you start to see, you know, your dad is actually kind of a shitbag, you know. Mm -hmm. This is Mike from Team 3 again. And now Active Valor is out. Well, why the fuck is it okay for you guys to do that, but none of us can do that? Fuck, they can do it, then everybody can do it. And then everyone kind of does. I'm Eric Greitens. For too long, Missouri's been run by career politicians. This is a campaign ad for the Missouri governor's race in 2016. The candidate's in a field holding a machine gun. Well, I'm no career politician. I'm a Navy SEAL, and I'll take dead aim at politics as usual. His campaign would go on to sell signed ISIS hunting permits for 100 bucks a pop. He won, by the way. And joining us from San Diego, Chief Petty Officer Chris Sinog, who's been a SEAL for 10 years. The TV becomes lousy with Navy SEALs. Because this can inflict a serious amount of pain against someone. This SEAL, for example, is showing how a pen can be used as a deadly weapon to the nice lady on the Christian Broadcasting Network. You have to do this with intention, though, right? Yes. You want to go for the eye, okay? The eye is a great place, the ribs, the kidney... In 2012, a Team 6 SEAL writes a book about the raid to kill bin Laden. Then another Team 6 SEAL, Rob O'Neill, writes his own book that contradicts the first one. And O'Neill outright takes credit for delivering the kill shot. Pretty soon, O'Neill is hired as a Fox News contributor. He made news again last year when he got banned from Delta Airlines for not wearing a mask. Today, there's over 100 books written by SEALs with the award for best title a toss-up between Seal of God and What Do You Mean I Can't Kill Him? And on the whole, writing a book is great, more power to you. But it has caused a big divide in the teams between the quiet professionals and the ones who cash in on all that cachet. 
because the organization is bigger than you are as an individual. And if everybody thought about that, we wouldn't have as many books out there as we have. This is Rob from Team Six. He's talking about another Rob, Rob O'Neill, who wrote the Bin Laden book. I think it changed the dynamic of the SEAL teams, you know, to, to what end? I know people say, well, he made a bunch of money off it. Yeah, but look where he's at now. Shunned by over half the people in the SEAL teams. A puppet for people who want him as entertainment. Say, yeah, you know, I, I saw, you know, O'Neill at, at this dinner. We paid him $40,000 to sell his fucking soul. In 2014, the head of the Special Operations Command, Bill McRaven, stepped down. And in his farewell message, he gave the SEALs a warning. He writes, Today we are inundated by stories in the media telling us how great we are. We are great. But success and praise can be fleeting. And the quickest way to lose the respect of the American people is to become too enthralled with ourselves. You can find more wisdom like that in his bestseller, Make Your Bed, that came out in 2017. Or the other one that came out just last year. Both excellent. Andrea Gallagher wasn't home when NCIS raided their house looking for evidence. This was before the arrest. Only her kids were home. She pulled up a few minutes later. I roll past, you know, all the blockades and all of the armored vehicles, and I get out of my vehicle, and they immediately pull me in and start interrogating me. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? They're like, well, why do you think we're here? And I'm like, I have no idea why you're here. You tell me why you're here. And like, well, he killed someone. And I'm like, who? Like, ISIS. I'm like, and? What, what is your point? It, it was so crazy to me. Putting aside her husband's guilt or innocence for a second, just think about how disorienting Andrea Gallagher's situation here must have felt. Her husband is accused of murder, but not like murdering a lover or a guy in a poker fight. Her husband is accused of murdering someone thousands of miles away in a place she has never been but where her husband goes all the time to, among other things, kill people as part of his job. And now, it's all over the news. As far as messes to dig your family out of, this one's pretty big. So why is she so calm? You can get just wrapped up emotionally and like, how can people say this? How can people do this? And I was like, you know what? I just won't read it. I'm not reading that bullshit. I'm not reading the New York Times. I'm not reading. I know what's going on and I know what's true and what's not. I don't need someone else to tell me their agenda. I wasn't sitting there scouring the web for Really? Yeah. yeah. I find that striking. Why? Uh, because <laughs> I can't imagine um, being in, in the position you were in and not just constantly looking for some piece of information, even if it's the information you don't want to see, like just trying to get control. Of what's happening. And it seems but like there's the no control in that. There's no control in trying to change the minds of other people that have already got their mindset. There's no control. Before all this, Eddie was on the quiet professional side of the line. Don't talk about being a SEAL. Stay out of the limelight. They wanted us just to remain silent and let it play out and trust the system, trust the process. And I was like, we're done with that. And for someone so aware of how little control she has here, she is remarkably clear on how to wrestle some of that control back. And I had the background of my branding. As luck would have it, branding is what Andrea Gallagher does for a living. 
She's even branded herself. Hi, everybody. So I am Andrea. Um, I have a company that I founded called The Better Business Babe. She's a better business babe. The Better Business Babe, it's a way to do your business better and you get there faster. She even has a branded phone number. The last four digits are B-A-B-E, babe. She's a better business babe. It's even fun to say. That's branding. So I developed a process where people could kind of elevate their brand and business. This 90-day brand evolution where I could take someone through a process to get them from point A to point Z and give them the high-end brand um, that they loved and that they could be proud of. And she kind of does her 90-day brand evolution on Eddie. Her number one goal right now, get her husband out of the brig. The Navy is holding him there till trial. She starts with an open letter to the SEAL teams, drawing a line in the sand by addressing it to the real brotherhood. The drift being, if you don't support Eddie, you're not in the real brotherhood. And my name is Andrea Gallagher. I'm the wife of Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher. Her Better Business Babe Instagram gets made over into the Justice for Eddie account. She posts pictures of herself, but not looking sad and helpless, which would have been my play, but kitted out with good lighting and defiant poses, wearing T-shirts that say never out of the fight, or modeling a warrior woman line of jewelry that they're auctioning off to raise money. She's not just talking about her situation here. She's trying to influence it. You know, some things are intrinsic to people. Like, anyone that knows me can tell you. I I just have a certain sense of style. I'm very self-assured and confident. She starts telling her story to conservative media. We have to go behind bars to visit a man who's a decorated war hero. My children are just beside themselves. And if you're wondering if Andrea Gallagher has the branding chops to play with the big boys, I direct your attention to the way she frames the whole conversation in a very specific, very triggering kind of way. Well, I want everyone to know that, number one, my husband is innocent. So that's Eddie, innocent war hero. That's what we expect her to say. It's more about how she pegs Eddie's accusers in Alphabetune. These lies and rumors that were cobbled together by millennial seals are shameless and utterly false. What's more loathsome than a war criminal? Millennials. This is her on Breitbart Radio. It came to light that a lot of these more millennial mindset SEALs, they did not want to perform. They didn't want to go out to battle. They didn't want to be put in danger. They didn't sign up to do the work. They signed up to get the accolades, to wear the trident. Lazy, selfish, entitled millennials. Even millennials hate millennials. I think they were used to working out, playing video games, and just hanging out. Her message is definitely not the broad coalition of support kind of message. It's red meat. The fake news will say, oh, and to me, it's such a liberal agenda that everyone has to act like, oh, if you're in combat, you're damaged goods. Let me tell you something. Our family is proud to serve. And I think part of branding also is identifying your audience and identifying your people. And it's like, yes, some people could be very turned off by that, um, and other people love it. Funny thing is, one of the people who would have been turned off by talk like that is Eddie's second biggest advocate, his brother Sean, who's been wonking away in D.C. as a science lobbyist. My job is articulating the merits of climate change, pushing scientific literacy. If you were to write a story about me from the right, you would have called me a Democratic operative. That would have been my name because I was a staff for Democratic members of Congress. 
It's actually five Democratic members of Congress. Compared to Eddie and Andrea, Sean is basically Jane Fonda. So going on right-wing media to rally support for his brother... At first was very like, oh man, I'm going on these shows. Not into it. But at the same time, um, at that point, there's also, I mean, desperation. Desperation is no exaggeration. As far as right-wing news outlets, Sean started off small. When did you go on Insane Throttle Biker News? (laughs) Oh my God. Dude, I'm so pumped you know about that. Pumped? I listened to the whole thing. You listen to the whole thing? No, not really. I spot listened to it. I listened to a bunch of it. I had zero idea what I was getting myself into. And it was like, welcome, bikers. And like the video lead in is just a bunch of like middle-aged women in thong bikinis on Harleys, like riding around, washing each other in like a car wash. Man, welcome to the show. How you guys doing out there in the chat room? Yeah, we are a little early, but we are expecting a call. And they're like, up next, Navy SEAL Chief Eddie Gallagher's brother. And I was just like, okay, like, cool. Today, we're going to be talking about Navy SEAL Chief Eddie Gallagher's plight. This guy is an American hero, and instead, they put him in cuffs. Unfreaking real. You're on air. How you doing now, Sean? Doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? But you go on. I mean, totally honest. Like, you go on the bike, Insane Throttle Biker News, and you sound right wing. You hear the word fake news, and you never think that it's going to apply to you. You're being extremely pro-Trump. You're being extremely pro-military. You're giving them what they want, in a sense. Is that hard to do? So, I mean, it. I'm going to try and answer you as honestly as I can. I mean, there's three things that motivated us, or motivated me. I love my brother. I think he's a good dude. The least I could do to help him out is one. Two was fear. I think fear is probably the strongest motivator. I was fucking scared that he was going to prison the rest of his life. That was a fear all the time. And the third was, like, I did believe it was right. Um, But I had a gun to my head. The whole family had a gun to our heads. Well, I first and foremost want to thank everyone who's come out. You guys. Andrea becomes a right wing media darling, and money for Eddie's legal defense starts funneling in. This is her at a fundraiser. So I thank each and every one of you for standing up for what's right, and for justice, and for truth, and for innocence until proven guilty, and for due process, and for people like Duncan Hunter, who have the backbone in this country to stand up when everyone else is taking a knee. Thank you all for coming. The man she thanked there is Duncan Hunter. He headlined the fundraiser. He's another one of Andrea and Sean's successes. Hunter is a right-wing congressman at the time and a veteran, and he takes up their cause. He petitions the White House to release Eddie from the brig pre-trial, and he becomes a familiar voice with the Fox News crowd. This is him. Eddie Gallagher is in jail in San Diego, a Navy SEAL uh, that is in trouble for killing bad guys the wrong way. But the thing to notice here is a different narrative beginning to form from Eddie's advocates about why none of this should even be happening to Gallagher in the first place. 
They want us to kill guys compassionately and only under the rules of engagement that, that they say to. And if you kill the bad guys that we actually say are bad guys the wrong way, well, the U.S. government then is going to try you for murder and put you in jail. That it's less about guilty or not guilty, and it's more about whether we should be sticking our noses into what warfighters do on the ground at all. I talked to him about that. Special operators, grunts on the ground, anybody with a rifle in their hands in a combat environment, they're guys whose job is to close with and kill the enemy. That's that's their jobs. And, and the one thing I hate above all else is the guys sitting back here second-guessing the guys who are on the front lines. Uh, there's a picture of Eddie with a dead body holding a knife, a picture that he then texted to somebody and said, good story behind this one. I got him with my hunting knife. I mean, does that not even just rise to the level of, huh, this, we should check this one out. People in the military, warfighters, guys that have to believe that they're invincible, that are out there kicking ass every day. They're going to say things like that. Here's this guy that's on another level when it comes to killing the enemy. And that's his sole focus. Isn't it possible to be too far in another level? Oh, sure. Like, doesn't there need to be a line where you tell people you cannot do this? And if they do that, then they need to be punished so that when other people don't cross the line, they feel like there is some sort of benefit to them. Sure. But the line's got to be a a, uh, curvy line that allows the latitude of the guys on the ground. A curvy line. A curvy line. Though no one else puts it quite so eloquently, you begin hearing it a lot from the advocates that line up for the Gallaghers. Isn't that what we send Eddie Gallagher and guys like him to do? Former NYPD Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick begins giving the Gallaghers legal advice. This is him on a podcast. Eddie Gallagher, who had been charged with war crimes, with killing an ISIS terrorist, and what? What's the problem? Yeah, what? Isn't, and isn't, is there is there something else we need isn't, to know? Isn't that his job? <laughs> the cries of Eddie didn't do it slowly begin to be coupled with the idea of, but so what if he did? Sure, there's a line. But does it really matter if the good guys cross it just a bit? Thing is, when you start to look closer at the people who make that argument, you start to see guys not super fond of being beholden to the line themselves. Bernard Carrick, the former New York City police commissioner and one-time candidate for Homeland Security chief, is now out of jail as he awaits sentencing on federal crimes. Bernie Carrick served time for eight felony charges, including lying to the White House and tax fraud, crimes for which he received a pardon by President Trump last year, by the way. And as for former Congressman Hunter, when do you have to serve your time and how does that even work? It starts in January as of now because of the COVID crisis. In early 2020, Hunter was sentenced to prison for stealing campaign funds to pay for trips and shopping sprees and private school tuition for his kids. 11 months? Yeah, 11 months. He'd never served that time, though. He got his pardon from Trump last Christmas. The big rift among team guys, it used to be about publicity, about whether the Rob O'Neills of the world and other SEAL heroes should be quiet professionals or cash in on the fame. But thanks to Andrea's very public campaign, her appeal to what she calls the real brotherhood, the man who shot Osama bin Laden is no longer the face of the Navy SEALs. Eddie Gallagher is. And where you stand on that, that becomes the new public dividing line in the teams. If that gentleman did, in fact, you know, have a prisoner and then murder that person, then 
That's exactly what it is. It's murder. This is Brett, Team 10. And those individuals that told on him did a very brave thing because they knew that they would be ostracized and and their careers would probably be ruined. If, in fact, he did stab that detainee, that is dead wrong. This is Don, Team 6. You can't have somebody doing that. And the only defense was because he's a war hero. I don't buy any of that. There's thousands of war heroes out there right now. We can't give them free reign to go stab people in the neck. And on the other side, Andrea's real brotherhood. Why in the fuck is our military going after this dude? This is Kevin, SEAL Team 4, with quite possibly the purest distillation of the curvy line argument. You know what I mean? Why? Like, you're in war. It's war. What the fuck? And the first thing you learn day one of SEAL training is you are never, ever going to win a firefight throwing a rule book at somebody. This is Don, a different Don from Team 2. They're told to go uh, kill a bunch of these guys, and then they're told how you can kill them. And that's not always very clear. You know, we want you to go kill them all, but, you know, maybe we don't want you to kill them like that. And here is Eddie Gallagher himself on the subject. How shocked did you think we would be of the gray areas that, that you were Super in? shocked. <laughs> Take your time. Yeah. No, super shocked. War is ugly. And it's gray. And, you know, certain things need to get done to get the job done. And I think that the American people should be lucky that people are willing to do those things. What if some people would say that we're asking you to do these things and we're thankful for it, but we don't want you to do whatever you want to do? We stay, you know, we have rules. We stay within those rules, but those rules can be bent. Either we're forced into that position or we make the decision to bend those rules every once in a while. And that's all I'm going to say about that. On to these new developments in the case of a Navy SEAL. On March 30th, 2019, the curvy line crosser in chief finally saw Andre Gallagher's bat signal. President Trump has stepped in for Gallagher, directing the Navy to move him from the brig to the barracks. Seven months after Andrea went public and one day after it was discussed on Trump's favorite show, Fox and Friends, Trump tweets, In honor of his past service to our country, Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher will soon be moved to less restrictive confinement while he awaits his day in court. Process should move quickly. Eddie is moved from the brig where he'd been held for nearly seven months. Fundraising goes through the roof. Andrea will ultimately raise more than $700,000 to pay for legal fees. Bernie Carrick, the former NYPD commissioner, makes a few calls and gets Eddie a new heavy hitter attorney. And soon, Eddie's legal team adds Mark Mukasey, who's actually one of the lawyers for the Trump organization itself. And now, with just about two months to trial, the whole military justice system, the judge, the potential jurors, the prosecutors, they all know the president will be watching their every move in this case. There's a line in the SEAL ethos that says, uncompromising integrity is my standard. But there's also an unofficial saying in the SEAL teams that I've heard more than once. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Eddie Gallagher's trial is about to become a reckoning on both of those ideas, and whether they're yin and yang or totally incompatible. Only a few dozen people have actually heard what went on in that trial. No cameras were allowed inside the courtroom, and the only recording was made by the government, and they still refused to release it. All right. 
So when we were able to actually snag a copy of that courtroom audio, unredacted, we were a little floored. Turns out what the seals of Alpha Platoon are about to say about their chief aren't the only courtroom shockers in this trial. Everyone please be seated. Because it also lays bare just how far we have gotten from the line in war, how curvy we've let that line become, and how much damage it can do to the ones who've got to navigate it. All right, then government, we proceed with the government's case. If you'd call your next witness. Next time on The Line. I saw it. I mean, it was a square hit in the back. Um, I could tell right away that he was hit. Did he have a weapon? No. Did you say, somebody fired this pussy-ass fucking judge? Whose fucking courtroom is this? Yes. You understand that the judge is a Navy captain, correct? I understand. I, I have never made up a story, Mr. Polator, in regards to any anything I've said. And the price of doing things in war that you can't take back. Every choice was um, between wrong and wrong. The organization that puts them at risk is operating on the assumption that a person can kill as many people as they want in their life and still go home and play with their dog and hug their children, which may not be true. The Line is an Apple original podcast produced by Jigsaw Productions. Our producer is Lizzie Jacobs. Investigative producer Diane Hodson. Jody Avergan is our editor. Maria Luisa Tucker and David Iverson are our associate producers. Emily Van Blarkham is our production assistant. And Natsumi Ajisaka did our fact-checking. Rick Kwan is our engineer. And our original music is from Mark Orton and John Hancock, with additional music from Jeff Baxter and Eric Phillips. The Line is executive produced and written by me, Dan Taberski. For Jigsaw Productions, executive producers are Brad E. Bear, Stacey Offman, Richard Perillo, Joey Mara, and Alex Gibney. The supervising producer is Whitney Johnson. Our consulting producers are Annie Allen and Jeff Zimbalist. The team also includes Andrew Hafner, Jade Lewis, and Eric Mitten. Our interns are Olivia Butler, Zara Khan, Sarah Feynman, and Lily Levy Epstein. Legal services provided by J. Ward Brown and Ballard Spar. Thanks to the folks at Final Final V2. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And a special thank you to the special operators who shared their stories for this project. <laughs>